are again with another Ask a Healer segment, and this heart track is going to be with Miss Nyla. She is a grief midwife, she is a minister, interdenominational, and uh, she's just an amazing human being that holds space. Again, these space holders that I'm connected to are something else. So listen, she will show up to sit with you in grief. She will sit with you in celebration. She will even bless your baby because she is also qualified to do that. One of my favorite things about Nyla, she's a writer. And uh, writing is my first love for those that know me well. And I'm just so excited. Again, I have so many favorite humans. This one definitely is at the top of my list for sure. Um, she's just just the way she loves and the way she speaks is almost not human. Um, but you know, we recognize the goddess within her and I want to honor her. And I would love for you to sit with me and share in her story medicine. So you know what to do. Grab your favorite beverage, take some notes, and I will see you on the other side. <laughs> and here so we are sexy and sultry that's it, it. <laughs> welcome to the healers boom boom no I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> hi Nyla hello it's so good to see you look to see you to hear you to feel you energetically yeah. <sighs> so this will feel like we're sitting across from each other I love this place um and this is not a commercial for Anchor, so let me just say that. But <laughs> I will say Anchor's it has been like one of my favorite places to record and doing this podcast and this like, you know, phone conversation makes it seem a lot more intimate and, you know, less cerebral, strategic podcast stuff. So welcome. Thank you. Um, how are you feeling? How's your heart? Let's do a quick heart check. Um, whatever comes up. How's your heart? I think, honestly, I'm feeling a little griefy. I keep using that word. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's your word. So let's, let's go with that. Yes. Yeah, I think because Father's Day is coming up. Mm-hmm. And I never know what it's going to bring. I mean, it's been almost nine years since my dad died, but it's like, even if I may not sort of think about it, it's yeah. always there. The energy is there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Whew. I'm right there with you. I will say that. And um, we're going to lean into this medicine today. I think it's perfect energy for alchemy, as we were talking about yesterday, transmuting energy. So for those of you listening in after our live um, on IG, uh, yes, we're still going to do a part two, but um, this this is the story medicine part. This is where we get in uh, a little bit more personal with Nyla and we dig into her point of origins 
um, where grief first began, even before dad, perhaps. That's what I'm feeling. I want to lean into that. And um, I'm going to ask you, Nyla, to just take us into your journey. You can take us the short route, the long route. It doesn't matter. I'm here with you. Um, But how did you come to be who you are today? And how did you come to the work that you offer today? Yeah, that really can go short and long, right? (laughs) Meet us in the middle. Give us the mile markers. I would say... It really started, although I didn't know it, with my interest in hospice care. Mm. Um, So I used to be a journalist. And when I was working at the newspaper I worked at, um, there was talk of opening a hospice in a community. And I didn't really know too much about hospice at the time. Mm -hmm. But as other reporters worked on stories about it, as I talked to people about it, one of my friends was a hospice nurse and involved in the project. It just kind of piqued my curiosity. And I just thought, what an honor and a gift to be with somebody at such a tender part of their lives at that Mm. threshold. Like what a sacred moment to share with someone. Yeah. So I was always interested in becoming a hospice volunteer. And then right when I was going to start my training, so my parents were divorced. My mom had a partner um, of 18 years and Mm -hmm. he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm died very quickly and suddenly I mean the week that we learned of his diagnosis was the week he died wow yeah so I couldn't do my hospice volunteering because you have to have a period of time after a recent loss before you can do the training yeah and the year after that my dad died And so it felt like a series of initiations into grief. Mm. I had lost my grandparents. My grandparents died um, when I was in my late teens, early 20s, all of my grandparents. And because I'm originally from St. Lucia, but I've lived most of my life in the U.S., there wasn't that everyday contact with them so that everyday connection so while I was sad about those I don't think I had any understanding truly of what grief was mm-hmm. and what it meant to really lose somebody until Lou my mom's partner died and then even though my dad lived in St. Lucia until he died because that's just a primal yeah. bond yeah so Yeah, those were really sort of the two catalysts that even though I couldn't see it at the time, eventually set me on this path to doing the work that I do. Wow. Let's let that breathe for a moment. (laughs) I've been leaning more. There goes the sirens. (laughs) 
There they are. Spirit, thank you. Ashe. It's so funny because this is my second podcast I recorded today. So earlier oh she had bills. Like as soon as she got to a stopping point in her story of medicine, there were like bills clinging. And then wow. for you, it's the sirens. When I tell you, like this medicine, we're still in the grief vortex. You know that. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're still there. Oof. Gosh. Okay. Um, also, the practice of leaning into the stillness and pausing. That's the Selah, right? Yeah. <sighs> the Selah at the end of the scripture. Let it breathe. I never really fully embodied that breath until I came to know grief. Mm. Yeah. So thank you for just sharing your initiation because good God, that's a lot already. Yeah. A word you used um, which I've, I've dibbed and dabbed in hospice mm. this field of um, very deep interpersonal service to people not just like an immediate family but just to people in general yeah. would you say that what you do now is a manifested, like, or maybe expanded form of hospice care. Um, how does how does that take shape for you in the work that you do now? Because I still see hospice in everyday living, whether people are in a hospital or not. But just the work that you do as doula, as midwife, as caretaker, doesn't it feel the same? does to some degree and it's interesting because there is kind of this friction between mm -hmm. hospice and the whole death doula death midwifery movement and there doesn't have to be because there's room for both of us and we're very yeah. complementary I mean the difference is that you know hospice is medically sourced mm-hmm but we are still providing that personal care, that touch, that comfort, that support that maybe hospice volunteers do. Hospice social workers and hospice nurses have so many patients to tend to. Yeah. They just don't have that luxury and that gift of time to give as much attention as the dying would like, as their families would like. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. So that, for me, that more so marries the two. That one is born of the other, or not necessarily one comes first before the other, but they expand each other. And I'm I guess a, a more tangible experience, my best friend and I, um, one of my closest friends, she's in DC. She's been there so long, we actually call her DC. <laughs> so, so DC um, 
she and I were in a master's program. This is where my seminary background story starts. Um, Yeah, we were in the AUC at the Interdenominational Theological Center together. Wow, I did not know this. Yeah, so I was already ordained at 21. And I had left and went to Israel and Egypt and I came back. And I just felt an urgency, a, a, a mission that I needed to go to this school. And so I remember my godparents, who were at the time my pastors, were like, why are you going here? You don't need to go. That's a whole nother story because the <laughs> dynamic between the Black experience of religion in the South and their disposition with seminary is a thing. So we're going to just... Stick a pin there. Yes. yes, it is a thing. So they felt like, you know, it, it. They took it as a personal offense. Like we've ordained you. What What are you going here to this learned school for to pick apart the Bible? And it wasn't even that. It wasn't anything close to that. So fast forward, that whole experience, which transformed my life, personal, intimately. I feel like I grew up in Atlanta. Like I I always say, like LA was home. I grew up in LA, but I became a woman in Atlanta. Mm. And so DC, I brought up DC because we were in this class together. We studied pastoral care, which the curriculum takes you through a route of hospice work and uh, being a pastoral counselor and, you know, just, uh, showing up in these spaces in the hospital as which they weren't calling it a grief doula or grief midwife but you know from a, a spiritual and a medical label you know this this was the curriculum for that um I chose to go the teaching route but still took those same classes and she ended up you know going down that route and um I always said to her I even after like years, maybe after that, I got certified as a doula, as a postpartum doula for moms and babies. And I said to her, you know, you've been a doula for years. You just do it in the space of hospital and with people. And I just do it with mamas who push Mm. babies out. Yeah. And, um, you know, she smiled and she said, okay, yeah. This is true. Like it, <laughs> once once it resonated, she was like, "This is true," but I, it didn't dawn on me that there was such a separation. And I think when we are so cerebral, you know, humanity—the way we like to box things in—but I feel like, you know, that makes you even more accessible. Maybe mm-hmm. gives people more access to you when you can see yourself across the lines like there is no line so have you felt like you've had to draw specific lines showing up you know side by side with people walking them through their grief whether they spiritually were sent to you or they medically were sent to you you know what have you seen a difference in the way they received you or in the way that you had to deliver service to them I don't think so. I mean, there's sort of, in some ways, the container might be different. If somebody Mm -hmm. reaches out to me individually and say, 
they're at home and they're with their family versus if they are either in hospice, in a hospice, or, you know, hospice is part of their home care situation. Yeah. So the container may feel a little different, but I don't think the reception necessarily is different. Um, and I personally just like to think whether it's in my death midwife work, in my grief work, in my wedding and baby blessing work, whatever I'm doing, I may not ever say the words to you, but it's really, how can I love you in this moment? How can I show up for you with love and love you through this passage that you're going through right now? Oh, that was poetry. (laughs) (laughs) How can I love you in this moment? Okay. And there it is. The end. Like, I don't, I feel like we don't even need to talk about anything else. (laughs) Like you literally just solidify not just years of study and research and not, and I'm not just talking about me. I mean, just all of us who are, who consider ourselves light workers, right? Who have answered the call, who are in the service in, in the realm of providing these esoteric services yeah. um, in a tangible way. All of us are literally showing up in answering or asking this one question, how can I love you through and in this moment? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's it. It's just love. It all comes back to love. It is. It is. Yeah. And you know, there's the nitty gritty, there's the hard moments, there's all the different facets of it. But at the end of the day, I still want to create an experience of love. Whew. So would you say, and here goes my writer's imagery brain right now and creative writing, that grief can be translated as love. And I'm going to ask you, because I asked you this on Sunday to, to really give us your lens of what grief is. But what I'm resonating with, that when I am grieving, that wave and that energy is literally an invitation, words from you. An invitation to bring me back to a language of finding, feeling, and receiving love. Mm. Yes. Yes. Tell us us with your lens, grief. Well, we wouldn't grieve if we didn't love. And I say this knowing that there there are... (laughs) There are relationships where that is not necessarily true. Obviously, if, you know, you were with somebody who was abusive or you had an incredibly painful, estranged relationship, and I know you have talked a little about your relationship with your dad, but there are cases where that isn't necessarily always true. Yeah. And yet so much of grief, especially when it comes to someone dying who we love, I mean, the grief wouldn't be there if there hadn't been so much love. And I often say that grief is love with nowhere to go because when that person is not in our lives for whatever reason, where are we pouring that love that we used to pour into them? Oh my God. So this is, oh, okay. Lord, pull me back. (laughs) (laughs) 
So it feels like this is the way, because I, I, I see pictures when you talk. It's you. You do this to me, Nyla. <laughs> but I feel as though just the journey of grief itself. Grief, if I take that translation from your lens that it's love with nowhere to go, in that moment, there's a sudden, you know, that's lost. That's the loss. Feeling like this yeah. was pulled away from me and I still have this reserve. Oh my God. And then the body and the nervous system goes into panic. What do I do with it? Yeah. What do I do with it? I'm still here on earth in this 3D plane. Who do I give this to? This was for them. What do I do with this? And then them, them as in those who have transitioned, I feel like are, are joined, some of, some of them, again, relative to experience. But I felt like a part of that call is them helping us to remember that that reserve is also us, that that is for us yes. as well. Like it, it does yes. not, it, it never like, dissolve it doesn't evaporate because it's energy right and energy right. cannot be destroyed right oh it's, my god yeah. yeah and plus i believe that our loved ones once they transition they want that relationship to continue mm -hmm. with us however yeah. we can feed it and tend to it and connect with them so that the love does have a place to go but right. so often we get trapped in the physical absence and the pain and the suffering in our grief that we don't realize that there are ways to keep that love flowing to them and for ourselves because so much of grief is learning to give ourselves love and mm. tend to ourselves with love and compassion learning to give ourselves love I'm taking notes because uh, you know I have to. <laughs> I have to take notes. And and you were instructed, listeners, to take notes. So I hope that you're hitting these, what Oprah calls a tweet, tweet. Ooh, that's a tweet, tweet. <laughs> that's a tweet, tweet moment. Grief, love with nowhere to go. Learning to give ourselves love. Have you... <sighs> have you narrowed down... A practice and I know we kind of just talked about this a little bit um, and just the allowing and not knowing what to expect and just being open but are there any like signature things when you feel this wave or this space coming um, how do you prepare how do you open how do you allow how do you anticipate Sometimes it depends on the day and where I am in my life in general. I will say I have an altar and it's almost like my altar knows <laughs> the moment I sit down because there are times I just come to my altar to meditate or to pray mm -hmm. or I'm singing and I'm joyful. And when I am in that space where I feel the grief coming as soon as I sit down the tears fall yeah and so I feel like there's kind of medicine in sitting at my altar that rises to meet my grief and that's been one of my key practices 
medicine that rises to meet my grief. Sheesh. This is true. And for those who are maybe confused a little bit, what's the significance of having an altar as in relation to grief and in terms of maybe it being a tool of remembrance? Yeah. I mean, you can make all kinds of altars. Um, Some people have specific ancestor altars that are just all of their ancestors who are no longer on this plane or just, you know, our ancestors like Harriet Tubburn, Sojourner Truth, like just our our long and vast lineage. Yeah, yeah. Um, For me, I have candles, I have crystals, I have a photo of my dad. um, And it's just, it's really the energy of it for Mm -hmm. me more than what's on my altar I have done small rituals at times just to connect with him where I may set out a glass of wine and you know a plate like I may be sitting down to dinner with my dad even though he's Mm -hmm. not there but I will set the table like he's going to be there and I will make an offering of chocolate or sometimes a mango yeah. Because we're, yeah, we're, you know, from the Caribbean, mangoes were something we ate all the time. And that, in some ways, is a different kind of altar space for me, just creating that and setting that up to be with him. Um, but for me, it's really the energy of the altar and the way it anchors me in an intention to be present. Like when I sit there, it's kind of like, okay. I know that this is the time and the space that I am going to devote to whatever is showing up for me in that moment. Yeah. And I I think it's important to say, because especially now, um, the tradition of pouring libation and feeding the ancestors, which could easily, you know, be, how do I want to say this? It, it could be very sacred and and attached to certain religions and cultures. Um, I know, especially in this space that we're in, the Ifa or your Santerias or, you know, cultures that heavily believe in commuting with, with the ancestors, with the dead and um, speaking with them and, you know, giving them money and making sure that they feed them and, you know, the African tradition, even, you know, my aunt's in New Orleans right now. If I walk into her house right now, she has a stick at her altar. She is going to hit the floor with that stick, put food down for them, call them, you know, to come and eat, bless them as well. And, you know, and, and, and that's something I grew up with, though. Yeah, yeah. I know that there's just this whole dynamic of fear and misunderstanding around a lot of these traditions but can you speak to the person who is maybe not religious or maybe um a really devout christian (laughs) but really wondering about how to make reverence to their ancestors or their family that have transitioned and they're curious and they like are these questions that that maybe come up when people well how do I do this well I'm not of this religion so what does this mean 
if I carry their picture around and I speak to them? These are questions that I get. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, like, you know, what, what, what medicine do you offer them? That's so interesting. I think a lot of the people who reach out to me, it's not that we're always on the same frequency or sort of believe in the same things, but if I say, well, you know, why don't you go wear that dress tonight and sit out by the water and think <laughs> about your mom and do you want to take some flower petals and maybe float them on the water and let go of whatever you need? Like most people are like, okay. There, it resonates with <laughs> yes. them. Like I, I, you speak in their language. Yes. Yes. But I can see how there would be others where that, that would make them uncomfortable. And especially, I mean, I grew up in a very Catholic family. So thinking in particular of even just my family members <laughs> and I, <laughs> And I think the important thing is that it's really what is your intention? What are you wanting to come from a place of love? Are you wanting to come from a place of healing? Are you doing this from a place of connection? Like what do you believe is really happening in this moment? And how Mm. are you, yeah, how are you, showing up and what are you receptive to that's good how are you showing up Mm. what is rooted in your rituals and your alchemy what's rooted in your altar i love that um gosh that can go so many ways I think we, we we may at some point circle back to that. I have a <laughs> affinity for for altars and um, as there's a revelation that came to me a couple months back in in terms of this fine line that we tread where we put a lot of uh, stock in it, like almost lean on it as a crutch with our mm-hmm. rituals, right? Yeah. And, and one just message for myself that I received was, I am the altar. Yes. I, I am also the altar. I am also the sacrifice. Yes. Like all these things externally are just tools, um, tools that affirm and confirm what's already in me. Yes. What's already happening in me. Whew. Yeah. Cause I often say my heart is the ultimate altar. Keeping my heart Ooh, open is the ultimate yes. ritual. Keeping my heart open is the ultimate ritual. Okay. Another quote, another tweet, tweet. (laughs) (laughs) The ultimate ritual. That's a, that's life. That is a lifelong call and response. Good God. Thank you for that piece. Oh, let's let's marry some things, right? And and that's what you do. That is what you (laughs) do. So I'm going to pivot a little bit. I want to get into because, you know, death and grief was the initiation. And uh, as the universe will have it, brought you back into rebirth through marriage and babies. And then we're going to tag writing on at, at the very end. But I want to I want to highlight the marriage and the babies. How does this like 
all synchronized for you? How did you come to, what are the, what's the point of origin for those two? So the marriage work, it's actually, it's kind of a interesting story because I never wanted to do weddings. I never wanted to be an officiant. I didn't, in my realm of possibilities, I grew up wanting to be a writer. I studied journalism in college. That was always going to be sort of my track. And I um, perform weddings through a local organization outside of Philly. That's just a community of non-denominational wedding officiants. It's what Mm -hmm. we do. Mm -hmm. And I had a friend who used to be the administrator for this organization, but at the time I was just getting to know her and we went out to dinner with a mutual friend and she was telling me about what she did and it just sounded so cool. And I said, that must be the best job ever to do Mm -hmm. weddings. And she said, are you serious? Because we're looking for more officiants. And that's (laughs) really how I got involved. And that's kind of been my life in general. I'm just willing to say yes. Something shows up in my experience that I wasn't expected. And if I Mm. feel any kind of aliveness around it, then I say yes. And then I'm there for the journey wherever it's going to take me. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm not even making this up. I promise I'm not. But I feel like in a former life, one of my lives, um, I was also a wedding officiant. But I actually, like, I researched it. I was looking for a community. Where was I? I think I was in Mississippi teaching or studying at the time. And going back and forth between there and Atlanta trying to figure this out but that's so funny that which is how things happen and this has also been my path it's the aliveness it's the aliveness for me yeah and if my whole like my whole body has to open to it exactly that's what I was gonna say yes it is a whole body body, my chest is open like it's something cracked open in me and light is bursting out and I'm like yes I don't have no details. <laughs> yes, exactly. Sometimes like, I don't even want details. I'm like, no, okay, I, this is you the just feeling. go. Yes, yeah. Oh, that is such a gift and such a blessing. And it took me a long time to realize that. But I'm so happy you shared that as a point of origin to this experience. So, marry, <laughs> marrying, <laughs> the being a wedding officiant and also blessing babies. Um, to the death midwifery how does all that like like come together for you uh in terms of you know is all of it a whole body yes all at the same time um does it solidify your initiation that came with your mother's partner and with your dad years ago like how how does this show up to affirm you oh so many ways. I mean, I am by nature a very joyful person, which is why when I decided to do grief work, some people were like, what? what? <laughs> but you married no, people. No, but you're perfect. You do. But, yeah. Right. But you would be the perfect person <laughs> for that. Like, I don't want a counselor that's sad. Yeah. Yeah. 
like so then we're like feeding the energy like i need you to be higher than me so that i can aspire to that frequency mm. yeah yeah so the wedding work i think is just very affirming of my natural inclination and who mm. i am and the spaces i often think of doing weddings as like a space i mean i would like to imagine i show up as my fullest self everywhere i go but yeah. that's not always the case i feel like when i'm performing a wedding that is my best and highest self mm. and i love i love knowing that about me i love knowing that this is what i'm doing and i'm showing up as my joyful romantic sentimental like all the things i love about myself Please tell me how you do this without crying. Do you cry? It's hard sometimes. (laughs) I'm always like the wedding officiant's not supposed to cry. (laughs) Listen, I maybe that was a little bit of hesitation while I didn't go deeper into the research, which I I actually and I can do it. I can I can marry people now, but I just I don't know. I've always I love love. I'm the person that shows up at weddings that I'm not invited to. If I see somebody being proposed to, I'm going to pop up on the side. Like I'm talking about just the biggest sap because it's the energy that I just love watching and and me being a part of that point of origin for them. Yes. I love that. I I just fall apart. I know I would not be able to keep it together and I I don't want to be a distraction because I would have snot running. How do you do that? How do you keep it together? I don't, I don't, it must be, I mean, I work, (laughs) I work really hard to stay grounded. Mm. And also one of my prayers before I do any ceremony is I am here to be a vessel of love. This is not about me. Mm -hmm. I am just here to channel the blessings of love. And so sort of taking myself out of it helps me contain my emotions a little more but there are definitely moments especially when couples write their own vows and they can barely get through them yes that is very hard for me okay well it's good to know you are still very in touch with your humanity yes I am yes (laughs) because listen I'm telling y'all right now those of you out there listening if you call me to marry you I'm crying I'm crying. I'm gonna bless you in the process, but we all gonna cry together. I think that's and and that's that's love. That's joy. That's that's energy. Honestly, the hardest part for me, the most emotional part, I should say, is since my dad died, is often seeing the bride walk down the aisle with her father. Oh, that's what makes me emotional. Oh my gosh, I I yeah, I can feel that. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That's so beautiful, though. I just, I feel fortuna that you are so lucky. Um, And just the luck as in it just being a part of your purpose and design to be able to experience joy in this way, like as a profession. Yeah. The joy person that gets to experience joy as a profession. I know. That's kind of amazing. Just hearing you say that. That is amazing. Like that. Someone said this to me. 
and but it was they gave it to me in a different lens that I had never looked at and and that's why I this resonates with me but she was like you know your life is basically like a vacation like do you ever feel like that you're not really working like who just gets up and, and says I'm going to have a beach session but you're like healing people in the process so or, or you travel here to host a retreat and heal people you know or you're called to come and speak for 30 minutes but in the process you are filled from healing people and I said I never thought about it like that that yeah. this this um whatever whatever we contribute a vacation to be but it's like your life is a retreat your life is a retreat <laughs> it is I said, from what oh, I've seen of it yeah. okay okay <laughs> well you know what I received that and I also received that for you like your life is joy because that's who you are and this is the connection I made with that is when I actually acknowledge and step into my purpose like it's my purpose is not outside of me it's not a, a box with a bow on it like it's actually just accepting all of me and all of Nyla is joy so then what is Nyla going to attract joy what are her experiences going to bring her joy what is her call? What is the mission? Like, what is the, the design of the vehicle that is Nyla? Joy. So that's what you, and the same thing for Kira, retreats. <laughs> <laughs> if I could just sleep and eat and like frolic in the dirt, the forest and the water for the rest of my life. That's, that's what I would say to myself. And, and then I started doing that, facilitating spaces to do that. So, ugh. This, this took another turn, but yes. I'm going to lean into this and say for our spiritual entrepreneurs or if you're on the brink of that space and looking and searching and feeling like your purpose is something detached from who you are, stop it right now <laughs> and just embrace all the parts of you the parts that make you you, the joyous parts of you, the parts of you that like to nap for a living, you could actually offer a napping service to people. And all of you could take naps for the rest of your life. But yes. this is like, like lean into the, just the, the part of you, as Nyla said, that brings the most aliveness. What opens you up? And say yes to that. Okay. Nyla out here doing branding and, and <laughs> purpose work as well. <laughs> uh, that, that we just, I, I had to let that peace breathe because that was, that was a full circle moment. I saw that in you, that you literally attracted yourself. You attracted joy. You offer joy. You serve joy as medicine. You drink joy daily. Oh my God. And even with like grief, clients I mean yes we go through hard things and painful conversations but we laugh we have to. yes that's yes. part of the medicine that is the balance that is the bad that's the homeostasis of it all Whew. okay I'm gonna shift one more time okay I want to talk about writing mm. I want to talk about it. It's been evident. If you, if you guys have been hearing what I've been hearing the whole time, every time she opens her mouth, it's a point. It's a prose. It's some kind of like you can literally haiku her. 
her responses, um, there's a lot of imagery there. Even if you're not a lover of words like I am, uh, you are going to fall into a trance just by how, like the way Nyla puts out this, it's a call and response all the time. Your writing challenges and, and writing prompts, your invitations to write are just, they're love. They embody love. Oh, thank you. What's your point that. of yeah, yeah, let's let me let that breathe too. <laughs> yes, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, that that's what it feels like. Um what is your point of origin for the love of writing? I don't I think there's creativity definitely in my family. There's a creative gene. Um my brother writes he's also very much into music I have a cousin who writes so it's it's sort of in the waters but I as a kid was always writing I would write my parents greeting cards I would write little poems Mm -hmm. but I distinctly remember when I was about nine or ten writing a story I was still in St. Lucia at the time writing a story about our dog chasing an orange. (laughs) The teacher loved it and she had me read it in front of the class. And that was sort of my first big affirmation of my writing to have her love this story and then to be asked to read it. And something just clicked for me like, oh, this is what you're really good at. Mm -hmm. This is your thing. And so I just followed that. I mean, I had flirtations with other ideas. I thought I wanted to be a fashion designer, like a flight attendant, other things, (laughs) but I, I always kept coming back to the writing and even becoming a journalist. It wasn't necessarily that I wanted to be a journalist. I was just like, Oh, here's a profession that will pay me to write, which is what I love. Yeah. 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 I love that. I, I told you on the live and and maybe in private as well, what our point of origin did for me and brought me back to this, what I I had to get out of the mindset of it being a block and it wasn't a block. And the more that you say something is blocked or even just acknowledge the energy of block, it will continue to be blocked. But what I acknowledged was that I was, I was paused for a season, for a few seasons. And I relinquished control over that. And then I further relinquished control and and surrendered into grief. And then it came right back, like like the craving for it. Like my glands salivating, thinking about, I can't wait till the kids go to bed so I can write, Mm. (laughs) so I can release that kind of thing like I hadn't felt that in a while Mm. um I love yeah yeah no 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 go ahead I was just gonna say I love how you say you went into grief and then it's like you sort of emerged and there was the craving to write because sometimes we need those experiences that full spectrum living like we need Mm -hmm. the raw material yeah to yes. spark the fire again. 
Yeah, and even that, I was just wrestling with, I don't always want to be feeling like this to get the good writing out. Like, I want to write in my highest points, too. Yeah. And so I was going back and forth with, but I don't feel nothing <laughs> in my highest <laughs> points. Because in my highest points, I'm feeling the high. Yes. And my yes. mind is not thinking about writing. Um, but this also goes back to your point about grief being an invitation, it being like what I saw as like a bowl, like an, an opening. Mm-hmm. It's a, this container and what it opened up, not like a void, but as a, as, as space, like it makes room. And it made room for me to bring up other things that was also dormant. And I just, this is another <laughs> call and response, you know, for people who feel stuck or blocked or, you know, feel, also may feel inspired or feel themselves leaning into a practice that came by way of loss and trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, what medicine, and I know that you also offer this as a part of medicine to your clients, but how has writing like really served as medicine for you? It, like in a way where it, it bled over to the point where you wanted to offer this to others. Writing for me really allows me to access truth that maybe in my waking hours, in my waking hours in my everyday life, truths that may be under the surface that I'm not ready to look at or acknowledge mm. or that are wanting my attention, but I'm like, not yet. But then there's something about sitting down and putting your hand to the page or even, you know, using the keyboard. Once yeah. I start going, it's amazing to me sometimes what comes out like I'll read I'll go back and read something and be like I wrote that do you do that too oh (laughs) my god no listen and the only thing I love about Facebook no shade to Facebook but when it brings up those memories (laughs) it reminds me of like a status or a quote that that I wrote something that came directly from me and I literally am like Kira from seven years ago girl (laughs) girl you was on to something what what was you going through what were you feeling yes yeah one of the things I did when I was a journalist I had my own column and after my dad died I mean I was already writing about my life before that but I used my space in my column to write a lot about my experience of grief and loss and it was very cathartic for me but what I also found was once I started telling the truth I couldn't stop telling the truth and I think that's part of the power and the healing power of writing because I'm always encouraging people to say the one thing they haven't said yet like what is that thing that you keep tripping over or that's stuck or that you don't want to look at like what is the truth that's going to set you free. Oh my God. This is a writing prompt. Y'all better write yeah. this down. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm doing it right now. 
I'm taking an intentional pause to do this right now because I'm going to add this to my writing meditation tonight. What? Can you say that again, Nyla, please? What is the truth you haven't spoken yet? The truth that will set you free. Once I started telling the truth, I couldn't stop. And to get to the truth, the truth that I haven't spoken yet, the truth that's going to set me free. Oh, we. Yeah, and it could be, you know, freedom is loosely interpreted. It could be the freedom to finally actually fully feel your pain. It could be the freedom to take the next step in your life. One of the things my writing helped me to do was realize I needed to end a relationship that I had been in that was beautiful and loving and kind, but just was not serving me. But different for everybody, but until you have expressed it, you're going to be stuck. You're going to be stuck in cycling through something that maybe is not for your best. Okay. All right. And I'm putting the top on my pen because <laughs> I am done. I, I, oh my God. Okay. Um, yeah, this was good. This is good because is good. I, I feel like we're going to be here again. So yes, we're going to do a part two of the live, but I would love to do another podcast with you because I just want to talk about writing and Mm, I yeah and loving and intention Mm. and truth oh my gosh these words are so juicy coming from you right now and deliciousness and juiciness and mangoes and (laughs) 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 oh my gosh okay um Your wound may not be your fault, but healing is your responsibility. This is a quote by Denise Froman. It served as like the culture statement um, and mission for Hey Healer when I opened up in Mm. 2019, the month uh, shortly after my father transitioned. Your wound may not be your fault, but healing is your responsibility. Can you open that up from your lens and give me your interpretation of that? I mean, even just looking at my relationship with my dad, which was complicated and challenging, and there was a lot I had to unpack after his death and just thinking about how I could have kept so much at arm's length and just been like, well, he's dead. I don't have to deal with that anymore. I don't have to worry about it. But Mm -hmm. knowing that I was still carrying that energy in my body, knowing that those stories still existed within me, I made a very conscious decision that I I wanted to heal. I wanted to work through the ugly stuff. I wanted to examine the things that I hadn't looked at and hadn't been willing to look at. And I mean, that's transformed my life. 
So it would have been, yeah, I think sometimes it's, it's easy to sort of, I don't want to say dismiss, but maybe like put it in a box on a shelf, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But when you open that box, there's a Mary Oliver poem and I don't have the exact words, but it's something like someone once gave me a box of darkness and I didn't realize it was a gift. That too was a gift. I love that quote. Yes, I love it. And so I do think it is our, I mean, and nobody's going to do it for us. I mean, I couldn't mend, I couldn't actively mend my relationship with my dad. Mm. He was dead. So I had to be the one to work on reconciling that and healing that however I could for myself. Okay. Oh my gosh. Thank you for that, for that lens. And it is well-received. You are well-received. You are so loved. You are so on time. You are so relevant. You are so intentional. You are so needed. You are so valuable and validated. And I just want to tell you that right now in real time, that I am so grateful that you exist and that you breathe and that you do this work. And it is important to me that you continue to unapologetically and unashamed own it and give us all you got in this joy because we need it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that blessing and that transmission. I wholeheartedly receive it. (sighs) Well, we have come to a pause again. This is not the end. We will be back soon. Um, One meditation, quote, intention you want to leave us with that we can focus on. We'll receive that now. I just want to remind everybody, your heart is your altar. What are you putting on the altar of your heart? Good God, of course she goes out with another tweet, tweet, tweet. Oh, your heart is your altar. What are you putting on the altar of your heart? Goodness. Nyla, I I gotta go. (laughs) I just, I gotta go. I gotta sit with this. I gotta be with myself. My granny girl used to say that to me, and I didn't understand. It's like, go, I just, I need to be with myself. Close my door. <laughs> I feel, I, I feel that. it now. I feel it now. She was like commanding her space and teaching us to respect that boundary. And oh, I got it now. I need to be with myself. I need to sit with myself with this. This, this is really good. Um, okay. I, I got to go now. Okay. <laughs> so, well, I want you to stay lifted. I want you to be well. Um, and and just be be wise and be wealthy and be loving and, and be you always. And I will see you soon. Good night. That sounds good. Thank you so much. Good night. Good night.